Welcome to Unexpected Points. This is Kevin Cole. I am your host. I am joined this week by Benjamin Solak. Benjamin is a writer with the Draft Network. He is a deputy editor at Bleeding Green. He knows everything about the Eagles. He's going through uh, a glass case of emotion this this week, I would say, for everything that's going on with Doug Peterson being let go. So I want to have him on to discuss everything Eagles and then also discuss everything that's going on with the divisional round. So, uh, Ben, thanks for joining me. No, thanks for having me on. I, uh, yeah, it was like standing at the bottom of a mountain and just kind of watching the avalanche come. Like, all right, this is going to hit me. This is going to, here we go. And, and, yep, and it's hitting me. This is great. I love it. Buried in snow. This is awesome. Yeah, it went pretty quickly from job is safe to week 17 controversy to hints of the fact that they could move on. And what you saw that, did you kind of, you kind of knew at that point it was going to happen, right? Yeah. There was, there was smoke for a bit. Uh, and when the Eagles decide to do something, they like think they get clever by leaking stuff, but we kind of have caught the, the game a little bit. And so when all of a sudden you start seeing, oh, Doug's meeting didn't go as well, and there's going to be a second meeting. And, oh, you know, Doug's uh, uh, wants a staff that Jeffrey Lurie doesn't want. It's like, all right, well, let's just fire the guy because we're clearly leading up to that and you don't need to pre-justify it for us we're not going to fall for this bait a little bit you know um it's very clear right like like laurie brought up in his his presser after the firing that there was a difference in vision and that was the main thing difference in vision as to how the coaching staffs need to be filled and if the team needs to be oriented on winning now in 2021 versus winning later and kind of that life cycle of a team it's all about a difference in vision we think doug peterson's a great head coach etc etc which simply is to say Peterson thought the team needs to go a certain way. He doesn't have the amount of power that he wanted to have in that system, in that Eagles office, in that building. He didn't have the power he wanted to have. And that's why you get the Rappaport tweet, which is talking to people close to Peterson after he's been fired. He just doesn't want people telling him what to do anymore. And for anything you think about Doug, the way he makes decisions, the way he plays his players, good coach, bad coach, you can't really fault the head coach for saying, I'm not being treated like a head coach. I don't want to be in this position any longer. Let me go somewhere else where I'm going to get – you know, treated with with big boy like a like like a like an adult, which is understandable. Yeah, I mean, say or not, I think the immediate reaction now that this has become a vacancy uh, and ranking the different vacancies that are available, a lot of people are putting the Eagles down near the bottom. So mm-hmm. uh, obviously, there's issues with control, and I think you you spoke well to that. But even looking forward at the talent on the roster, the age of the roster, the quarterback uncertainty, the cap situation. Does he, I mean, did he want to coach this team next year? I mean, you, you don't want to be fired, obviously. Right. You want to see things through. You want to show that you can overcome a poor season, right? But his contract, his contract goes through 2022. You know, he's a hot coaching candidate. Maybe he'll jump right back in. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll, maybe he'll take a year off. I doubt it. But, but maybe he'll jump right back in. So this is not the worst possible outcome for Doug Peterson. And he, he wasn't going to these meetings, at least in my opinion. I doubt he was going to these meetings saying, I want to make sure I'm saying the right thing to make sure I don't get fired. Yeah, no, we, my boss at Bleeding Green, when we saw the report, he was, they were like, oh, he wants to bring Matt Burke and his DC or Corey Unlin. He was like, yeah, Doug's trying to get fired. Like this is 100%. <laughs> Doug's like, I'm thinking of the worst names, guys who don't make any sense, get me out of here. And of course, after a coach is fired, everybody comes out of the woodwork with sources that they had X years ago, Y years ago about things that they can never get confirmed because at that point you kind of have momentum. It was shared that, you know, people close to Peterson hearing how he felt about the job in 2019, a year ago, 
said like you gotta you know dig your heels in you gotta either say give me power or let me out of here you know you gotta draw a line in the sand and peterson has always been affable a bit of a player's coach you know a little bit of a, a patient guy said you know like oh no i'm gonna try to work through this and we're gonna get this done and so obviously that's a much easier story to break now versus breaking back then but like that that has some smoke to it right that has some run to it and so i, I do think if you're peterson you have to be careful with the next job you get because you don't want to be put in a similar position where you're just scrapping for power over your own roster. You know, Peterson never had full impact over the defense for he was the head coach and the defense was completely run by Schwartz. Uh, the degree to which his and his office of coaching staff had impact on personnel is a matter of great uh, debate because it seems like every bad pick that's been made, the Eagles coaching staff had a big impact right. on it. And all the good picks was just all the personnel office, which is very interesting. Uh, and then he didn't even have full control over filling out his coaching staff. Uh, so you've got to make sure you get that job. But I agree with you. I when I, when I flick on Eagles film and I watch passing game concepts, that's, that's modern West coast offense. That works. That's good stuff. It's, it's successful in other places in the league. And you know, you saw, when they hired Rich Dangarello, the ex-Broncos offensive coordinator, the ex-passing game coordinator for the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, it was a Roseman hire. And they, Roseman wanted them to bring in more of this sort of an offense, which isn't exactly congruent with what Peterson was doing. And so they'd have like Peterson play, Peterson play, Peterson play, Peterson play, under center wide zone. You're like, where'd that come from? You know, there's no, there's no, there's no um, a harmony there. And so you get Peterson in a spot where he can, I think, fully run the offense he wants to run and have a little bit more control over how his staff is filled out I expect him to put a good offense on the field, whether that's as a coordinator or as a head coach. And again, like that's, that's going to be tough to watch as an Eagles fan. Yeah. I mean, there has been a, a trend of you, you reach your hand into that Shanahan, you know, dust and you just sprinkle it over the offense and mm -hmm. boom, you know, any quarterback that you have is now functional, if not good, at least by, by the numbers, no matter how limited that they may be. And yeah, Peterson doesn't really fit into that into that mold. But let, 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 let's start from the top. So, number one, what do we know about Doug Peterson as a coach? Because I think this comes up a lot in conversations, conversations I've had with people where when we're watching games, at least when I'm watching games, so I'm, I'm going to say my level first and then your level's, <laughs> your level's at, a, at a different level. Sure. But my level is the easiest things to diagnose are things – things that all the nerds talk about that that we, we get made fun of for talking about too much, which is, are they going for it on fourth down when they should be going for it? Are they passing enough on early downs? Are they using motion? Are they doing play action? Are they doing, you know, these these, these things that are become like these blanket recommendations that will, that the pushback will be, well, it's more nuanced than that. You know, you got to do this and that. So I think Peterson was way out in front in a lot of those things, whether it was him personally mm -hmm. or whether it was the front office moving him that way. The rest of the league is kind of caught up in a lot of these different metrics, I was looking at him as far as uh, you know the amount that he's going for it on on fourth downs versus before, and he was they're way way out ahead in 2017 in particular. It's scaled back a little bit there. I looked at the use of play action, which is a little bit different in that offense. I mean, because you're not doing the under center stuff, I don't know how relevant right. it is. But there was someone who where the league is also trended up further and further while the Eagles have stagnated versus the average. Um, so I guess some of these things that we associate with just being like an easy button that you push and that you get your offense better, maybe he wasn't going as far, as far in that direction, but he had success, and he had success in that 2017 season in particular. So how good of a coach do you think he is from what you've seen, and what do we have to think about the stuff we can't see, the stuff that's going on inside the building, the stuff that comes to the preparation, the CEO type of stuff that Peterson is doing? Right. It's a, it's a very good question because, man, that, that coach titled his book Fearless – 
And that was a great decision. But then his team started getting bad, and we started to be able to call everything he did fearless, and that did not go well for him, right? Yeah. Where, you know, you, he was you're fearless starting... in that meeting with Laurie. This, this, right. You, you start to get Carson fired. Wentz, yeah. you know, week 12 after he's been so bad, and it's like, you know, oh, you know, we finally start Jalen Hurts. Who's going to be your starting quarterback? He's like, I have to watch the film. We're all like, oh, fearless, fearless, fearless. You know, we're just <laughs> being terrible with it. Um, but right, the, the, the initial advantage that he brought was that in-game decision-making. I absolutely agree with you. You know, it was that you had him maximizing his offense's opportunities by going for it on fourth down, by playing on third down to set up fourth down. They obviously were wicked good in the red zone and on third down, which has been uh, talked about at, at length in 2017. You lose some of that coaching staff. We talked about it, whether or not it was guys that he brought in versus Rosen brought in. You don't have the same congruity Monday to Saturday, and it makes it more difficult to have those maximized decisions on Sunday, right? And so you're not as good on fourth down because you don't feel like your coaching staff and your preparation has gotten you to that point. So that, that change in 2017, losing De Filippo and Reich has an impact there. I do think that Peterson's better as a, a first creator than a second creator. He's better as a Monday to Saturday game plan installer than he is as a Sunday adjuster. Uh, a lot of what he does on the chalkboard is really good. And you like what you see in terms of how he gets his guys into the into field. And you like how he, he works with spacing. It's very traditional West Coast. You could certainly get more creative, but it, it works. It's effective. And then Wentz is bad. Like Wentz is bad in 2020. He doesn't know where to look. He doesn't know how to get the ball to him. He doesn't not come up with his progressions, not keying safeties pre-snap. Nothing that you want in a healthy quarterback process is available to him. And there's a, there's a question mark here to what degree Peterson was allowed to change the offense to fix that. Because there's a belief in Philadelphia that Wentz dug his heels in and said, this is the offense. This is what I want to run. We're running it. I'm not running anything else. So there's a chance Peterson wanted to do a little alchemy, move this around, play a lot more under center, move him more out of the pocket. And Wentz was uh, obstinate and saying, I I'm not going to participate in this. I'm not going to make these changes. You know, I can run this offense, but when Wentz was poor, they came out with largely the same stuff week after week. They really struggled. You wanted to see them just kind of throw stuff at the wall with how bad he was being and say, all right, we're going to start putting three guys into the concept instead of five. And we're going to give you fewer decisions to make, or we're going to roll you out a lot more. And we're going to really take you out of the pocket and let your legs be your own check down. Cause Wentz doesn't like to get to his check downs, you know, like we're going to try some stuff here and we're going to see what is good with you. And we're going to build from there. And they never really committed to that. And so a lot of the, the frustration that you have with Peterson is that he, he seems to think the solution to everything is like, all right, well, we're just going to put five in the concept and we're going to spacing over here. We're going to run slam flat over there and you're going to have to make a decision, you know, which half field you're going to read and everything. And, and you wanted him to, to step out of that and really kind of uh, take a, a 50,000 foot view of his offense and say what's working for us and what isn't. That goes to designs and that also goes to, you know, uh, the, the fan base is frustrated when he doesn't hand the ball off when Miles Sanders is running very well. And that offensive line is such a really good run blocking offensive line. And they, they, they wanted to, to dedicate to that. So there is a maturation that has to happen there for a relatively young play caller. You know, he, he only infrequently called plays in Kansas City and then he started doing it in Philadelphia. There is a maturation there to learning what buttons to press in his system to respond to different issues. Certainly he needs to get stronger there. But I think overall, you're looking at a head coach who, which I about maximizes with, with his decision-making, with his aggressiveness, who, who coaches a good offense. You know what I mean? He puts guys out in the field, opens people up. The work he did with Jalen Hurts was tremendous over the last four weeks in terms of getting him free looks, getting him easy releases, one-on-one -on -one coverages. And I do think, yeah, in the locker room, 
very well-liked coach, a very respected, a good players coach, a, a guy who's an advocate for his players, helped get a lot of uh, young guys into spots where they could be successful, even if it was just for flashes. Guys like your Travis Fulgham's, guys like your Boston Scots, was able to maximize in that way with backup quarterbacks. They, they were out of the playoffs two seasons, 2018, 2019, they weren't making it. And they had late season surges to get there. And to me, that speaks to leadership and that speaks to culture. So I, I, I do think you do check boxes as a good head coach. Is he an offensive savant? Probably not, but he does a lot of the stuff that you like. And, and again, I think in a more healthy power dynamic, uh, he can be successful for a while. Well, why do you think it is the, the reaction that we've seen has been, I believe, overwhelmingly, on the Peterson side of things, if you're going to look on the other side, now, I don't know who's, I don't, I don't know who's on the other side. I'm not sure who's on the other side. I right. mean, you could say that Roseman's on the other side. I think that's fair. Um, is Wentz on the other side? I guess. I don't know. We're hearing is on the other side. I, I'm not sure who's over there, but why do you think it's so overwhelming towards him when Carson Wentz, let's say Wentz is on the other side. Carson Wentz was after that 20, 2017 season, he may have been, the most sought-after quarterback in the entire NFL. If you were going to go through and ask all 32 general managers who they wanted. Uh, he was young. He was played at MVP level. And every year since then, his play has stagnated and then fell off a cliff this year. Uh, that 2017 play, as you mentioned, a lot of it was based on pressure. A lot of it was based on these unstable things, converting third downs, how he was able to play there. So there's a Super Bowl, obviously. Um, but can you make the case that the results haven't really been that good to start off with, yet you have this player who was the number two overall pick, who's a talented guy that people seem mm-hmm. to like, and he's fallen off a cliff. Why are people backing the head coach where this seems like a situation where people would back the player over the head coach, would back ownership over a head coach a lot of times also? What is it about this situation? Is it the Super Bowl factor, or are there more things in the dynamic? <sighs> Super Bowl factor for sure. Uh, yeah, Peterson's going to be immortalized in Wentz. For, I mean, they, they got the statue of him outside the stadium, but he's going to be Nick a Philly Foles, guy. Yeah, Nick Foles, <laughs> Nick Foles, yeah, Nick Foles and Doug Peterson, uh, which we affectionately refer to as the statue of players and coaches that Jeffrey Lurie chose uh, Carson Wentz over, right? Which is kind yeah. of the the, the right. going to be the meme moving forward. But you do have the Super Bowl aspect of it. That's absolutely there. The other part, I think that. Eagles fans are aware of the fact that they really haven't drafted well in the last few years. And it's funny because Jeffrey Lurie is not uh, Jeffrey Lurie is like, I think if you look at league averages, we've been league average. And it's like, no, uh, close. Not really. Like <laughs> I wish, but like maybe it's game started, but that doesn't really count. Uh, you know, so, so they, they haven't drafted well. And I think there's that, you know, understanding as well as, you know, the, the Eagles cap situation is a difficult conversation because Roseman was largely given the green light spend, be aggressive. We're going to, you know, get as many veterans in here as possible. We're going to win some Super Bowls. Let's go. And so he kind of, you know, did what was within his his reason to do. The, the ownership let him kind of get aggressive. But you look at where the Eagles youth is and where the Eagles cap situation is. And it's not difficult for the fan base to say, you know, this team's not set up for long-term success. They don't have young players who are going to develop nicely. And they don't have cap room to bring in high price free agents and of course the responsibility for the long-term health of the roster and the franchise lays on the general manager roseman as we as we know maximized a short-term window but it feels like he's responsible for that roseman's now survived three head coaching firings which is more than general managers usually survive so the longer the eagles 
go through these these moments where Reed was such a good coach and then Roseman took over the roster and Reed's offense started to get worse and his team started to fall apart, so he's fired. And they bring in Chip Kelly, and Kelly's good at first, and then that situation starts to devolve, and Kelly takes over, and he gets fired. And they bring in Peterson, and they win a Super Bowl, and then the offense starts to get worse, and then the record starts to fall down. And every time Roseman survives this cycle, Eagles fans lose patience with him. Uh, and so I think that Roseman is very much so made out to be the villain. He's made out to the, as the foil to Peterson. He's the one who is in Lori's ear. He's the one who helped, you know, shackle Peterson at the start. He never had full control. You know, he's always had Roseman filling out his staff, so on and so forth. And then the Wentz thing is just because Wentz was terrible this year, right? Like Wentz was bad. Like we all lost Wentz a year ago. Wentz was just atrocious this year and everybody's fed up with that. He was bad, bad. Uh, And obviously when you have such a likable player, such a fun to root for player as Jalen Hurts sitting behind him, it makes it even more difficult to watch him be bad in week 10, week 11, and week 12. So I think the Wentz thing is just he was rough this year, and that was upsetting. But Roseman is largely the – the you've seen the long-term health of this team degrade over the last couple of seasons. And that it gets put on Roseman's shoulders probably to an unfair degree, though it is still primarily his responsibility. And so he's made out to be the villain in that case. And then you have Peterson, who's very likable coached him to the Super Bowl, you know, big balls, dog is what they like to call him. And there he is just, I wish I had control over my coaching staff. Oh, shucks. Let me go be good for the Jets. And that's more easy to root for than rooting for Roseman to turn this thing around. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess anti-Roseman sentiment, maybe that's yeah. a bigger factor there. And yeah, I mean, I remember that little, that clip of Doug and the, the ice cream, you know, the ice cream video that went, yeah, that went viral. That like one. you just, you gotta love him after that. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I get that now. Well, we'll, okay, let's pivot to Roseman for a second here mm-hmm. because what I'll say about him is the drafts have been bad. I don't think there's any question about that, no matter how you want to, to frame it or, um, maybe some sort of interesting metrics you can put together that make, <laughs> that make all it league average where it certainly hasn't been, but that's a difficult thing for me to to weigh too much on because he's not a scout, right? He's not he's not the super scout. He's not the John Dorsey that you're bringing in there. Where sure. I think you probably could put more on some uh, the super scout's head who's making these final decisions. Presumably, Roseman is taking a, more of a collaborative approach to what's going on there, and he has qualified people in the building who are helping him with that. Uh, Joe Douglas in the past, who's now moved on, uh, Andrew Barry for a short period of time, who's now moved on, and seems to be doing well in Cleveland. So you have people moving out of that building to go elsewhere, and at least show some a modicum of success maybe not too much success when it comes to joe douglas but uh becton looks pretty good and and we'll see what happens there going forward so but i think if, if we went in a time ca- a time machine and we went back to every off season um specifically before maybe not this off season because people didn't like the jalen hurts pick which may have ended up being one of the best moves that, that, he, that he made people right. didn't like right and then in 2019 i could i could probably list out 20 different articles that told you that the eagles had the deepest, best roster in the NFL going into the 2019 season. Um, I I could give you another dozen articles uh, praising the glory of Roseman and how he outwitted and outsmarted the Texans by by leapfrogging them to go get Andre Dillard, who now everyone hates, and how what what a brilliant move that was, right? Sure. And I think there's there's an element of that in prior off prior off seasons for what he's done too. Mm-hmm. So if he's putting together this team in the off season and everyone is saying, and the time in that moment in time is maximizing the chance for the Eagles to win when things fall apart. How much of that is, is on Roseman then? Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's the, the very quiet thought that I have that I never vocalize because you get in trouble. <laughs> it's not, it's not a, a, an easy argument to make. Right. Um, what's, what's, what it's been for me as, as I have the draft background is since Roseman took 
the Eagles uh, front office back under his, his control in 2016. I just haven't really liked the way they've drafted. I haven't liked the players they've selected, you know, obviously the Wentz deal, uh, the Wentz trade, and they only have one uh, day two pick left. And it's Isaac Samalo, who was a, a fine pick, but Barnett in the top of 2017 was, was a reach for me. I liked Goddard as the player at the top of 2018, but I'm not sure tight end is what you needed there. 2019 uh, when you brought in, uh, Andre Dillard for the trade up to me was a big mistake. Uh, Dillard did not have the, the sort of film that, that, that I was looking for. Uh, and then 2020 with Jalen Rager, who again, like I, I had a late first on, on Rager, but not above some of the other guys that were available at that time uh, and who were potentially one of the guys in particular. I yeah. Saying, and yeah. so you've got, and then you, you look at Sidney Jones and you look at Rasul Douglas and you look at Avante Maddox, uh, uh, the way they drafted in the secondary has struggled. They've completely neglected linebacker and it's come back to bite them. So I, I, I agree. I think that Roseman's, clearly has not drafted well over the last four years to what degree that falls on him, not as a scout is tricky because certainly you wish that your top executive, your top guy had that scouting background. So as to make that final decision and feel confident in it. And Roseman's going to take a much more collaborative approach where he relies on assistance. He relies on Joe Douglas is now Andy Weidel and so on and so forth to assist him. And, and that muddies the blame game and everybody wants a nice neat and tidy blame game and that sounds mean but like Lori should want it as well Lori loves collaborative approaches but when it, it's not the chickens come home to roost and you have to figure out who's responsible for a 4 11 and one season it'd be nice to know who had the final say on x y and z and that's why all of this backdoor you know oh the coaching staff fought for rager over jefferson and oh roseman hired skangarello but uh schwartz promoted briner and or and, and peterson wanted press taylor and like that it makes it very difficult to sit down and say, these are the people who are responsible for these decisions. And this is why we're going to move on from this guy and keep this guy around. So you, you wish that, that there was a neater way to, to bring this all to a head to Roseman and say, you know, you're responsible for these drafts. You're the general manager. So I always circle back to uh, Rosen spoke at, at Wharton uh, to Cade Massey in 27, 20, yeah, 2017 after the Wednesday. After yeah, yeah, Bowl yeah, win. yeah. That, that was an interesting interview. And, and first of all, the, also the, um, I think it was the rationale behind some of the when stuff I, I didn't quite right. buy, but anyway, go go ahead. Yeah, right. He was talking about you know where I'm a analytics background. I like to trade down, but when you need a quarterback, you potentially have to trade up. And he said all decisions are bets, right? This was his his way, and he said we put things within the frameworks of bets and the frameworks of risk reward, and that's an important thing for me in terms of understanding what Roseman's done because if you're told by ownership, which reading the tea leaves, it's it it's pretty clear that he was maximize this window keep this roster together we just want a super bowl now i want to win two now i want to win three bring me veterans i don't have time to develop rookies spend my money let's win some some games while wentz is on on his rookie deal for roseman the 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 expected value of a deshaun jackson bet probably isn't that good in a vacuum but if you're being told listen bring me veteran receivers deshaun jackson's a, a a a premier field stretcher if he's healthy, which he wasn't, if he's healthy, it's huge for the team. And you can apply that to Alshon Jeffrey, and you can apply that to Malik Jackson. You can apply that to Darius Slay and Rodney McLeod. And so many of these contracts that the Eagles have signed have been fiscally irresponsible, but they've been long bets meant to push the team over the edge in the event of a playoff run. That didn't come to fruition. And it got put on the head coach because he wasn't able to get that team to playoff contention you know Lurie brought up oh we were one catch away from the the nfc championship game okay sure you know the alshon jeffrey drop against the saints but the reality is you didn't get there in back to back to back years you didn't get to the nfc championship game 
So you, you, you failed, and, and that's part of the Peterson firing. But for Roseman, all decisions being bets helps us understand why he's such an aggressive general manager who makes these, these bold moves, who signs these base contracts, who trades up to get in front of the Texans for Andre Dillard and things of that nature. Sometimes bets go poorly. Uh, but that doesn't mean that at the time, like you were saying, the bet was a bad idea relative to the information that we had. And so that's why Roseman remains at the controls is because the idea is that he's such a nuanced thinker who's willing to take chances that for as quickly as this thing nosedived, he should be able to bring it back up to, you know, just as fast. Yeah. You know, now that I think about it, it wasn't that interview that I was thinking about with the Wentz comment. I, I think the the quarterback stuff has become more accepted wisdom now about yeah, how you I think he was at Sloan some... when he said that. I can't remember though. He's done yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but there was another. I think there was a, um, a kind of like a. I think I think Shale may have right written something about the the whole Wentz trade, and it mm-hmm. went into some of the details. And one of the things that he there was the thing he said about Wentz in that in that in that article, which was he had his analytics guys look at it, and because of the fact that he was such a unique, weird prospect, um, you know, coming from uh, FCS background that. They didn't know enough to rule him out, and I thought that was kind right. Of a weird no, way. I do remember weird way this. of framing yeah, yeah, yeah. of framing making the decision. Like he was, he was so he was such an unknown that we couldn't not we couldn't say we shouldn't take him. So then we took him, and I was like, oh, that, yeah, that's right. not yeah, a little yeah, bit, yeah. that's not a little bit fishy. But um, so going beyond that, I think it's important that you mentioned ownership because that that's the, that's the third and probably the most important uh, of the triumvirate at the at the top of these teams. And I also think it's the least understood or maybe thought about on on by the fans although in in philadelphia it's a bigger it's a bigger issue than in most so I, a couple different things i was thinking of one we've gone in the nfl more towards this maybe not more towards but there's been a, a rebirth of head coach is king in a lot of places and then mm-hmm. the gm is there but it's kind of like to supplement what the head coach is doing i think maybe what's happening in san francisco with shanahan that's the case i think matt rule's gonna bring is gonna do that in right. uh, Carolina, I think Ron Rivera is essentially doing that in Washington, and you're going to see that in some other places. I mean, Stefanski, not quite as much, but I think they're. I think I think in the rank ordering, you know, I think he coming in before Barry and Barry not being this dominant force also at at that position matters there. So it seems to be reversed here in Philadelphia, right? Um, Roseman has a relationship, has the ear mm-hmm. of 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 Jeffrey Lurie more than most. Can that work for more than a few seasons? I mean, is it always going to be the case that this is going to happen if you have this model? Because th- th- there's going to be turbulence, and when there's turbulence, there's not going to be alignment. It, it just, I, I wonder if mm-hmm. it's more difficult to have the alignment if the head coach is not at the at least the putative leader of, uh, in this alignment. Yeah, I, I'll answer your question with a question: How many humble? NFL coaches are there because that's kind of what we're not, looking yeah. under. Yeah, like, well, is, and then they win, right? And winning exactly, is not going to. Yeah, it's not. I mean, like, like, think about Doug Peterson, right? Like his exactly his pedigree. His pedigree was nothing. I mean, barely anything. Was I? I you know, worked for Andy Reid for a while, right? He wasn't the, the first choice necessarily. He exactly. was a mocked. He was. And mocked when you look at when, when you look at Chip, right? Chip was oh, this guy's a future NFL head coach, and the Eagles were like, he's an NFL head coach now. Like that was an yeah. aggressive hire. Both Chip and Doug were relatively inexperienced, considered to be, you know, budding offensive minds. They're going to be uh, on a track to be a head coach. And the Eagles try to leapfrog that, that track. That's probably the angle they're going to take again. And they are going to, you know, claim it's because it's aggressive and they're finding their next McVay and he's going to be the head coach forever. But the reality is, and this is a lot of what we've talked about, 
if you're a really attractive head coaching candidate with multiple hires, you're not taking the Eagles job. This is a bad looking job. I mean, you, you're going to need to hire somebody who this is a bit of a step for them. This is a big career opportunity for them. Like Peterson is better off for having taken the Eagles job and subsequently losing it. The fastest head coach to ever lose a job after winning a Super Bowl ever than he would have been if he just kind of hung around as the Chiefs offensive coordinator, potentially. You know, it's a tough argument to make, but it was a big career move for him and it establishes him now in the head coaching conversation moving forward. And so, you know, we, I like to go back to Graham Harrell, who's the, uh, he's the passing game coordinator, he's the offensive coordinator for USC, air raid background. The Eagles wanted to interview him as the offensive coordinator last year. Uh, and they said they interviewed him and they said that he just wasn't going to be a candidate for the job because he wanted to call plays. But there's rumors, there's sources that say that he never even interviewed. He just flat out, no, thank you. It's, he's got four years of coordinating experience at college. They're asking you to be an NFL head coach or NFL office coordinator. This is huge for you professionally. And he took a look at Philadelphia and he said, I, I would, I'm going to wait. You know, I'm going to be, a, a, I'm going to pick a different spot to potentially make my rise. And I think that indicates how, coaching circles have started to view Roseman and the health of the Eagles job. So I think it's a very important point, which is to say how long is a coach going to want to sit there and take what the Eagles are offering in terms of the amount of power and control that you have and the amount of influence you have over the owner. Peterson won a Super Bowl, And once things started to get bad, they crumbled. They went bad fast. So you, you don't even win a Super Bowl. How many years are you going to last dealing with this? So it's, it's a very good point. The organizational health of Philadelphia is in question. And that makes it scary anytime you're adding a new hire, whether that's assistant wide receivers coach or head coach. Okay, here's 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 something that came to me. Um, thinking about the Lurie-Roseman uh, relationship. Has he... Has he like worked his magic? Has he has he hit him with so much of this mumbo jumbo process, uh, right. analytics, everything else? Because there's certain owners are going to react to certain things, right? Uh, some owners like Jimmy Haslam may react to everything, where he's like, "Oh, Dorsey, look at this guy. He's so uh, he's so he's so virile, and, like masculine, or something." Like, I love this this scout guy. So he goes him, and then he's like, "Oh, but De Podesta, like I love this process sort of thing." So sure. has he is he is he is Larry just like bought so far into the Roseman Kool Aid? Um, although I, I believe in a lot of this stuff, so I, maybe I maybe I'm I'm Me also too, compromised. You know? like, <laughs> I'm also compromised. Is, is, is that part of it that he just sees things through? Because I think sometimes we look at these big organizations. It's a billion mm-hmm. dollar organization, right? We figure. There should be, you know, the best possible people in this position, the best possible head coaches, the best possible GMs, the most coveted jobs ever. But sometimes this just comes down to the owner believes in someone and the reasons they may believe in them is not because of a, you know, rigorous process, everything else. It's because they they have conversations with this person and they're tied in and they have they have an emotional attachment to them. Uh, Do you think that do you think that's part of it? This Roseman thing. Um, is he just, are, are they just wedded at this point? I agree. No, I, I do think it is. It's, um, I, an Eagles beat said yesterday after the Lori meeting, and I cannot remember who it is. And I apologize for that. But he said, Lori loves troves of data. He loves collecting data. He just doesn't know what to do with it. And that's where being paired with somebody like Roseman is so attracted to Lori, right? Lori loves to talk about in NFL history. And if you look back at this and oh, we've won, we've made it to the NFC championship game and 25% of the years I've owned the team. And it's like, all right, you've got information. He doesn't calibrate to it super well. And so when you pair yourself to somebody like Roseman, who's like, I have a process for, for consuming data and making decisions. That's a very attractive pairing that Lori speaks that language, you know, and that's a very like business oriented member. Roseman has never worked anywhere else, but Philadelphia. He, he was, 
I was hired, sending letters to people, you know, uh, at Jerry Reese, ex-general manager is calling uh, uh, Jeffrey Lurie saying, you might want to give this guy a shot. Like, I know you like this sort of a thing. Like he'd be a cap guy for you. His business got to be great. He has never worked anywhere else. He has just climbed the ranks. And it's because he very much interfaces with how Lurie views building a team, managing a business, winning football games. So I, I, I do think like the only time Lurie benched Roseman was that one year he gave Chip full control. And the Eagles didn't have a great draft. They didn't have a great season, but it really wasn't that bad. And after just one year, it was Chip's gone. And Roseman now even has more control than he did back in 2015 or back in 2014, excuse me. They placed him back on top and, and, and they lauded, oh, he's so much emotional development. He's so much better of a, a team player. He's so much better of a communicator. And here we are five years later yeah. and we're, we're dealing with, with similar problems. So absolutely. Lori and Roseman are tethered uh, and it, it goes back down to how much Lori is interested in this data driven approach to building a team. Yeah. I mean, I think, the, okay. So one of one other thing, when I think of coaches and GMs, I, I don't have any window into well, like other GM candidates, how they think. You don't really know anything about these guys. You don't know that much about coaches, I would say, either. But for me, right. I, maybe, I maybe take a view that coaches are – I don't think they're more replaceable than GMs, but I think they're very well-trained. There's lots of very well-trained coaches out there in the world. There are not many – like well-trained GMs, I would say, in the world. Or if they are out there, there's not a track that works in the same sort of way. There's a scouting track, right? So there's a scouting track, and you kind of know, you can say this guy's made a lot of great draft picks, so therefore he'll be a good GM, but you don't really know about the actual stuff that, that a GM is doing. So I mean, it, is there maybe some value in saying, we can find a coach. Maybe it's not the top head coach. You know, maybe it's not Arthur Smith. But then who's to say Arthur Smith is going to be, you know, if, if, if they didn't get Ryan Tannehill, who says Arthur Smith is going to be any different than any of these other offensive coordinators that uh, right. Mariota, you know, flamed out uh, b- before and things like that. So, like, how important is it to even be able to get that that top head coach? I, I agree. Like, I think that it, so much of the process is occluded from us that we follow the tea leaves as best we can. Um, but, you know, like, like Steven Ruiz for, for the win just did the, the publish on like, hey, like if you're a good coordinator, it might not mean Jack. You know what I mean? It's yeah. obviously better to be a good coordinator than a bad coordinator. Looking at you, Adam Gase. But like it is, like it, it, it unfortunately isn't as strong of a signal as we'd like for it to be. I think obviously you want to hear that you're coach is oriented on players that he's a good locker room influence that that guys like playing for him and they like giving effort for him but it's very easy to say that uh, it, sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not you know what i mean and sometimes you're you you believe it and sometimes you're just taking uh somebody else's word for it right and so it, it's difficult to find the strong signals i agree and, and a lot of that is pre-hire right a lot of that is, is like in, in the sense of before that that process has gone through before even the interview is just what we know about this guy from what he did. But even some of that is, is post hire going back to what we talked about with Peterson. There's a good case to be made that Peterson could have coached a much more successful team over the last few years. If circumstances in Philadelphia were different. Right. And that's the thing is, you know, it's, it sounds silly to say like, Oh, five years of a sample size is too small. But like when you're dealing with, so many different voices, especially in Philadelphia where things are so collaborative, you're dealing with so many different voices and so many different influences. It's hard to divorce head coach performance from what you want to signal head coach performance, like record or offensive performance, you know? And so it's, it's very tricky. And that's why I think that at the end of the day, you sit back and you look at, at the history of the league and you say, all right, those three back-to-back-to-back seven and nine Sean Payton seasons probably weren't good. But now with the breadth of information that we have in New Orleans, 
is probably a good head coach. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I get the analogy a little bit there, um, although those offenses were pretty good on those seven and nine teams, right? Right, so I yeah. Think, I, I think that's <laughs> right, important. Yeah. There wasn't a problem, right? That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's an important factor when you're assessing the offensive-minded uh, head coach and, and how and how they're they're viewed. Uh, okay, so let's let's briefly talk about like the path forward and before we move on to to some other topics here. I mean, this has to be like a rip off the bandaid rebuild type of situation is how I see it. So again, I don't know if Peterson would have been good for that because mm-hmm. what if he got fired? He would have just got fired after next year potentially, right? Like how do you how do you make it through if you're already like a couple of bad years as a head coach there. So is that how you see it? Or do you think there's any chance of a rehabilitated Carson Wentz or moving forward with Jalen Hurts as being an answer for a competitive team who is severely over the cap and aging right. next season? I think there's like, I think there's a good chance that Wentz is able to step back to 2019 levels. You know what I mean? Is is able to just not be atrocious, you know, like all, Wentz would be acceptable if he just, threw the ball away like it just like it's some they're very yeah. simple ideas that would just you know you just when when they added hurts they didn't get much better at completing passes they didn't get much better at throwing the ball down the field they just got better at not taking back breaking plays you know that right. their defense wasn't lining up inside their own 40 half the time you know what i mean special teams was easier like simple stuff uh and so i do think that you can just kind of bounce back to middling play and that's obviously not what you want for what you're paying for but you can get there and i do think if you make a good hire around Jalen Hurts, you know, we've talked about Lincoln Riley, but just anybody who can work a quarterback run offense successfully, yeah, you can get middling play. It's not like the quarterback instability is is worrisome, but you can get a short-term solution to that. The problem is that you can't really add anybody in free agency this year. You don't expect to make any big moves in free agency this year. You're going to have to move on from Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, Zacherts, Malik Jackson, potentially Derek Barnett. You're going to have to restructure Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox. And if they won't restructure, you might have to move on from them too. You're in such a dire cap situation that you don't anticipate adding talent there. And you need talent at linebacker, at corner, at safety, and at wide receiver. You can only do so much in the draft. And so you don't anticipate being a full roster. So that compounded with your quarterback instability means like the offense could look better. Quarterback could improve. Certainly the Eagles don't look like a roster altogether. That's going to be complete for at least a cycle in which they can start to get some more money in the coffers, make some, make some acquisitions and get hopefully a couple of good draft cycles under the belt to bring in some youth. And is this a real quarterback competition next season or is the trade Carson Wentz thing mm-hmm. Is there any reality to that? Because I'll say that the, the the word from those in the know seems to be, like I said, Wentz is on this other side against Peterson, so this was maybe to appease him a bit right. or to move forward with him. At the same time, when I've looked at what's gone on, I mean, Roseman, I presume Roseman was behind drafting Jalen Hurts. I don't know, but I, I, I'm going to presume that because why wouldn't you? Um, he talked about this whole Russell Wilson, missing Russell Wilson in 2012 and everything that, that happened after that. Uh, Doug wasn't quick to go to Hertz this season. Uh, he pulled Hertz in that week 17 and I I don't, I don't have any inside knowledge on this, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Jalen Hertz faction of the locker room did not appreciate that in particular, because he has this, he has this prime time chance to, to have a victory going into the, to the end of the season, uh, presuming that there is, there's always somewhat of a divide in these locker rooms. So that seemed to be a little bit anti Hurts of a movement there in his press conference immediately after that he says hey we got to fix Carson Wentz that's our that's our subject one it wasn't you know it was it was it was stronger in that in that area than maybe it had to be although maybe it didn't have to maybe it had to be that that strong so anyway are we sure that 
Wentz is the guy for the remaining faction now there. Yeah, uh, uh, ask me when they hire a head coach, and then I'll tell you. You know, <laughs> like, but, uh, can a head coach come in and say, you know what, that guy's shot. I can't do anything with him. Like everyone's going to say that right. they can, that they can, they can fix him, right? As part right. of right, and pitch. that's that's a lot of what we talked about way, way, way back in week thirteen when Wentz was first getting benched and, and a lifetime Peter- ago. Yeah, Peterson was still, <laughs> you know, like potentially the head coach. We talked about new head coaches, and 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 we said, listen, if you think about Laurie interviewing the field. X, X group of head coaches say we can fix Wentz. Y group says we want to move on from Wentz. He's not going to hire a Y candidate. It's dumb. Like he's going to trust an X candidate because that's potentially saving the money that he's already spent in the sunk cost in, in Carson. And so, yes, like it, it, I, I make the joke. They, again, like this whole Lincoln Riley smoke is very confusing, but they're going to try to bring in a guy who makes Wentz work. You know, it is not a coincidence that Peterson was fired. And then 15 minutes later, Jeremy Fowler has the report that Wentz is now substantially more likely to stay in Philadelphia. It absolutely was a little bit of a Doug versus Wentz dichotomy. Who's your future. Um, And certainly now there's more of a chance that they hire with the intention of attracting Wentz. And a lot of it has to do with, they are going to struggle to trade Wentz unless he plays ball with his contract and potentially moving money around to make it less of a cap hit on them or less of a cap hit on the team that's acquiring him. So it's easier for them to move on from him. And and the Chris Mortensen report from week 17 indicated that Wentz might want to play ball with that. But you know, you, you turn to a a, a new father and you say how many millions of dollars you're willing to give up to get out of Philadelphia. He might respond with, I'll just take $34 million this year and I'll worry about getting out of Philadelphia next year, you know, and then that, would be a very reasonable decision for a guy under contract. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's going to be a, a situation where they listen to offers on Wentz. And if they get a robust market, they're going to try to move things around. I'm not sure that they do. And then I'm not sure that any of the, the offers they get from what I would anticipate being a rather thin market. I'm not sure any of those offers are strong enough to move them off their spot with, okay, we have a 5%, 15% chance of getting good play out of Wentz. Let's really, you know, go hog wild in 2021, try to get him right. And then if he's not right and we really can't fix him, then in 2022, he's so much easier to cut or so much easier to trade. We'll just worry about it then. That's probably the easiest avenue. Yeah. I mean, the only scenario that I can see where Wentz becomes likely to be traded is maybe if there's a promotion within the building. I don't know if, if like do Staley is a real candidate or not. Or something mm-hmm. like that, because like, is an outside head coach going to want to say? Because you have to trade him early. You have to trade him before his guarantee kicks in for for twenty twenty two, I think. And that is like you, you got it. You got to do that. Um, so you wouldn't be. You, you're not seeing him. You're not interacting with him. You're not in the building. You're not on the field with him. I don't know any coach is going to that's going to do that. I mean, maybe if they promote him from within, there is someone who could have a reasonable idea of saying. Uh, I'm willing to move on because I can't see a coach from the outside saying, you know what, this mid-second round pick, uh, I'm going to go with that guy. <laughs> right. Like I, I, I'm fine just just going with, with that going forward, not having any real insider knowledge of, of, of what's happening there. All right, so let's let's transition here after our robust uh, uh, Eagles discussion. I want to talk Russell Wilson because that was the other thing that the nerds were, well, in Seattle Seahawks fans, I'd say generally, were up in arms about. I'm going to test something out here. I see if I can actually get the the audio here for you that I clipped the whole uh the whole carol question and answer on this and if wow, you don't indulge bold. me here I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to play this for you so you can get an idea of exactly the context here and what was going on because I think a lot of people just saw the running thing and while I think that was 
really the the gist of it. Maybe there's a little bit more to it than some people mm-hmm. think. So yeah, Pete, how would you assess Russell's season? Just you know, all of it from game one to game seventeen, and yeah, gosh, he just was just smoking early. You know, with all of the, we were just on fire. You know, we scored all those points early in the season. Um, it really couldn't slow us down, and uh, the, the, it was almost lost. It was just so consistently good. And then as we, we got down the, the stretch, it got hard, you know, and, and the games got hard. We tightened down some to make sure that we kept the games in, in, in control, knowing who we were playing against, the style of teams that we were playing. You know, you play the Rams twice, Washington, the Niners, all those teams have, the Giants all have great defenses um, in, in the challenges. They all played very similar style of play. And so that you saw our style of play really got minimized some that we can't let happen. Uh, I will share this with you that we have to run the ball better and, and, and not, not even better. We have to run it more. And, and that's to we have to dictate what's going on uh, with the people that we're playing. And that's one of the ways to do that. And uh, I know the fans aren't real jacked about hearing that. But uh, um, but Russ knows it, too. You know, we, we need to we need to be able to knock those guys into the scheme that we want to throw at. And uh which was happening more earlier in the season, and so we took full advantage of it. All right, so that's the that's that's the Pete Carroll clip. I think the takeaway of running more is definitely part of it. I thought there was a couple of interesting things. So let me let me let me look at some of my notes on on this. I mean, you heard it all, but I thought the most interesting parts were number one, he he said run more effectively, and then he said maybe not even that, just run more. So he yeah. he actually said maybe not run more effectively, just run more. Um, there's also this issue of we have to knock them back into the scheme that we want. So it's more, you know, you're reacting to what the defense is doing versus saying, this is what the defense is doing to us. Let's, let, let's attack it. There seems to be a, a focus in that direction. So what do you think about those two aspects? That's what jumped out to me. And, if, and, and what's your take on, on the Carroll situation? And we'll get into the larger Russell Wilson issues as part of this. Yeah. Not surprising for Carroll to, you know, sit there at the end of the season, having just lost a game in which they were very ineffective running the football, especially over the back half, like you said, we know who Pete Carroll is. So it's not like, you know, when he says we got to run the ball more effectively, we got to run it more. It's not super surprising. This is when Carroll's refrain largely for his career as the head coach of, C- of Seattle. Obviously this season we had this transition, right? We had this, this let Russ cook movement that we saw in the first half of the season. And certainly they tried to sustain for as long as possible. Uh, they do need to run the ball better when they're handing the football off. Like there's no doubt that, that as they dealt with offensive line injuries and in, you know, rotating backfield, obviously Carson got banged up again. They weren't able to run the football well, which when the Rams are giving you five in the box, which like the Rams, the Rams, it's not even like six, like they'll go minus one in the box. When they're giving you such a numerical advantage, you do have to be able to take advantage of that in Seattle. And that's why the, the Russell Wilson conversation is important because you could, argue that even against neutral boxes the way that you pass the way that you you get your guys into the concept the quickness in which you're getting rid of the ball think about like Roethlisberger and how their entire passing offense was just basically their running offense because they threw it three yards down the field he threw it in two seconds all the time you could even say okay against light boxes we still like our numbers here on the quick game we like our numbers on the shallow because they're playing with too high so we're going to throw this underneath and we're going to get into Juju and Deontay's hands they're going to run fast it's not how Seattle throws the football Right. If you put they they put their guys in deep concepts, they want to throw the ball down the field. They live and die by Russ's deep ball, which is such a good deep ball. And so they don't really have the necessary yards after catch receivers or quick game passer and Russell Wilson to be able to continue to pass the ball 
against too high to, to you know they don't have a, a a tight end who's going to be able to sit down in the middle of the field against zone coverage and be a, a regular stick mover they wanted that in greg olson they didn't get it you know so they they don't have that passing game option to make you pay when you're going too high it's not it's not how they're built and so their solution to that is running the ball and they were ineffective there so you, you can argue you know i think they they don't need to be as oriented on running the football as their solution to getting teams in single high. There's other ways to do it, but it's the way Pete Carroll likes to do it. It's the way that he wants to build that team. They draft Damian Lewis. They have Dwayne Brown. They have these road graders. Chris Carson's humongous. He's angry. They signed Carlos Hyde. It's how they want to go about it. And if they were more effective, they have a better chance of beating teams like the Rams, who we know Brandon Staley is very happy to give you five-yard runs if you want them. Okay, so then I think the real, the, the big picture, the most important question here is, you, you can point to these different aspects. You could say, this is what they want to do. This is the personnel they have. This is what Russell Wilson is good at. Um, if you fix those, the, if you fix A and B, if you fix the mentality, let's say, or the, or the, the philosophy, uh, not fix, but if you have a different philosophy, let's say. Sure. If you have a different personnel, can you, can you, can you do it? Is, is, is C, right. does C still prevent you from doing that? at an effective enough level that it's not worth doing A and B. And, it's, and it, it is better to take the approach that Pete Carroll seems to want to take, which is rather than positioning our whole team to defeat something that Russell Wilson is not good at, let's do something which may be inefficient uh, at a higher volume but opens up what Russell Wilson is good at because that's what we have to do with Russell Wilson. Right. It reminds me of, of Tannehill from the Titans, especially 2019, right? Where like Tannehill just like did not have a deep catchable ball go uncaught. And it was like, hello, the Titans offense is good. And it's like, well, yeah, when you're completing every 40 yard pass that you put on accurately. Right. And with Tannehill just not being, you know, an ideal like pocket mover, Tannehill's not much of like, Oh, here comes some pressure. Like Tannehill likes to hang around in there a little bit. And for Tannehill yeah. being a player with, acceptable accuracy but certainly not like a precision passer it was for arthur smith and for that offense it was all right if we're gonna throw a pass we better be picking up 17 yards with this thing we don't want to we're not we we can't with our passer the way that his strengths are built be a nickel and dime team and oh by the way we can nickel and dime a little bit with the 230 pound guy in the back for derrick henry and like that that's how we're gonna get our our small gains if you're gonna give them to us so it, it reminds me of that conversation. Russ has never liked being a quick game passer, wanted to be a quick game passer. So much of uh, you go through his spectacular highlights. It's usually because he was in that pocket and the pocket was clean and there was an open guy. And he said, well, I'm just going to run around for another four seconds and see if we can open something up that way. And that's difficult to sustain. And, and it's important because we're talking about Russ. Deshaun takes sacks. It's what he does. He did it when the line was bad. And then they traded for Laramie Tunsil and they drafted Titus Howard and they drafted Max Sharp. And guess what? He's still taking sacks. He's taking scrambles. It's how Deshaun likes to play. Patrick Mahomes, remember when Mahomes was, was a little bit not great in the beginning of the season and the Chargers game was rough and everybody was like, he keeps bailing out of the back of the pocket. You can't pass protect for this guy. He's 12 yards back. Joey Bosa is just sprinting to the back of the pocket every single time. So he knows Mahomes is going to bail out of the back. Quarterbacks have tendencies. Quarterbacks have proclivities. They're people playing a very difficult game at a very high level and there's there's nobody who's perfectly smooth around all the rough edges and so with russ you're understanding when you and this is kind of how schottenheimer builds that offense if you try to give him quick game 
he might take it, but he's going to want to take it on the, the deep back shoulder fade. And he's going to want to take it on the vertical routes, Tyler Lockett. You know, like that's, that's how he wants to get the ball out of his hands quickly. He wants to do it deep down the sideline. That is his way of playing. Are you going to be able to take a 31, 32, 30-ish year old passer? Yeah, yeah I think he's 32. And, but yeah. yeah, are you going to be able to say to him, change the way you've been playing. It's been great so far. Uh, we need it to be better. And we're going to need you to, you know, DK Metcalf, just don't throw it deep to him as much. Uh, Freddie Swaim is great. Start throwing more to Freddie Swaim. You know, like, that's a that's a difficult ask. And so it, it, I agree with you. It's going to be very difficult to fully change a Schottenheimer-Russ passing game to have more quick underneath options. And I think they, they tried to do that a little bit with Greg Wilson and with Freddie Swaim. And, and it's just, you know, they weren't able to fully get it done. They, you know, they weren't able to, to suss out that aspect of their passing game quickly enough. And without the running game to buttress it, they don't have that stay ahead of the sticks, get to second and manageable, get to third and manageable idea, which Pete Carroll, you know, subscribes to. Now, okay, so obviously the, the quick game is a pretty is a pretty obvious solution, and uh, there are a lot of different reasons why, why Russ may not be suited for that. I think some QB height arguments are going to start to come into play with him yep. and with Kyler Murray. Look at how, um, right, as I say, look at how, where Kyler doesn't throw the ball either. We're talking about not throwing over the middle of the field. That's yeah, yeah, works. I'm starting to I'm starting to adjust my opinion a little bit on that. I think it was fun when uh, maybe maybe Mayfield coming out was really the the part of right. it that him coming out and then Murray was like stop being a, a QB has to be tall guy and recognize that they're productive and what they can do in the NFL. Um, you point to people like Russell Wilson and Drew Brees as being a reason for why that's the case. Now I'm starting to come to the opinion of maybe there's like a threshold. Okay, sure. maybe obviously it's better to be six six than it is to be six foot, but maybe if you're a little bit over six feet tall, like a Drew Brees or even a Baker Mayfield, and Baker Mayfield has his pocket issues too. Don't get me don't get me wrong. Right. Um, maybe that's a lot different than being five ten or being a little bit over five ten. Right. Well, like, it's, it's like Russell the Wilson Robert and Kyler Murray times joke where you can't be six seven. You can be six six. <laughs> don't be bigger than that. Right. And, and, and the idea of diminishing returns on your mechanics and your release speed. And when Brock Osweiler's got an arm the length of Texas, takes him forever yeah. to get the ball out of the pocket and get through his motion. So that, like, you know, there's, there's probably a sweet spot. Uh, and a lot of it also still remains stylistically what you want to do on offense is going to dictate kind of what sort of pass you need to have in terms of their arm and their release and so on and so forth. And the, the one other thing that I thought of, okay, let's say there is – an issue with his ability or his height with, with doing some of this middle, middle passing. Is there any solution to this or a partial solution to this, which is, which is let's just take some more chances downfield. Even if, even if they're, they have, you know, uh, a, a too high shell and you have DK Metcalf running down the field, maybe just, maybe just give them some chances to make more plays. If you have Jalen Ramsey, uh, Jalen Ramsey uh, shadowing him, uh, maybe just give him some more chances because I think mm-hmm. Russ had, a handful of interceptions earlier this year, which was uncharacteristic and was higher than some others. But if you look at the last few seasons, uh, he had a 1% uh, INT rate last year. He had 1.6 the year before, 2, 2, 1.7, 1.5. These are low numbers. I mean, these are fairly low numbers. Maybe they're not Tom Brady type of numbers because they're not amassed on high volume. But think of how low those numbers are for the fact that he is throwing the ball down the field, right? He's not taking a whole bunch of of little gimmies. Is is he too conservative on top of being – (laughs) <laughs> too short right. and maybe those two things go hand in hand maybe if you maybe you don't feel as comfortable if you're too short i don't know but I, that's another mm-hmm. thought that i had is that maybe he's just too conservative it's yeah it's it's a difficult conversation we 
probably going to get into some hot hand fallacy nonsense over here right now. <laughs> but what you want to tell your quarterback is if you see it and you like it, take it. And if you see it and you don't like it, don't because you want him throwing that ball at a high percentage because so much of deep passing successfully, at least when we talk about it anecdotally in terms of like QB coaching and, and approach is about trust and confidence. And so you don't want your quarterback seeing too high and hearing in the back of his head, Oh, but I've got to take this shot. Like this is how we move right. the ball this yeah, is how we win. Yeah, like yeah. you, and, and with Wilson's movement ability and his legs as well, there will always be a conflicting voice in his head that says, just get outside of the pocket. You can go pick up 12 yards scrambling or just get out of the pocket. DK is going to break off. Lockett's going to turn around. We're going to throw this thing 55 yards down the field. We're just going to do it later than we thought. You know, there's always going to be, it, you want him triggering on that, that we're talking about that quick deep pattern, right? That like, I've got single high. It, it's Ramsey versus Metcalf. I want the matchup go. That idea of deep passing, you want him feeling like Steph. You want him feeling confident. You want him in the sense of, if you've got it, trigger, go. And I will always support you and say that's a high percentage decision, even though it's a three-point shot, even though it's a deep pass, which isn't completed as much. You want him taking that throw with confidence. You want him taking that throw with guts. Whereas if you try to prescribe him to do it, even against looks he doesn't like, I think you're going to start to lose that, that confidence that you need to, I think, be a successful and aggressive deep downfield passer. So certainly like Russ's best strength is deep passing. Deep passing is so valuable in the league. Why doesn't he just do it forever? I, I, I'm with you. I'm like, yeah, just let's chuck it. Listen, it's either going to be a three and out. We're going to score in three plays. This is the, let, let's live on the edge, baby. There's certainly, you know, you're going to have to calibrate to his aggressiveness and to, and to find that. But you do not want to put your quarterback in a spot where he feels like he can't trust his eyes when he's making decisions. You do want to making decisions confidently on the football field. Otherwise, you 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 went him. You know what I mean? That, that's where Wentz ended up. Yeah. Where he just didn't trust anything he was seeing. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, because I think, like, even the passes he's completing, the deep passes, they're extremely difficult. They're sidelined, which makes them right. more difficult. But I wouldn't necessarily classify them as risky sure. um, as far as throwing an interception. They're, they're rarely, like, a, there's rarely something you would classify as a 50-50 ball. It's more like mm-hmm. it's either going to be incomplete or it's going to be caught. Um, it's just really, really difficult to, to complete, right. and he's better, and than, that better than that than to... anyone. Russ's accuracy you know we we right. like I know when when you guys do your QB annual when I do my quarterback charting we talk about catchable but we also talk about placement relative to coverage and like I, I always think about that locket touchdown against the Cardinals in primetime this year where like that was just a ridiculous decision like how dare he choose to throw that but he ends up putting it where only locket can get it even though it's yeah. 55 yards down the field and that's that's what makes Russ as I say the best deep ball thrower in the league it's that he can put that ball in a spot where it's all right if Metcalf's running at full speed maybe he gets this but I can promise you the safety's not. And that's where we're able to, to make more of these aggressive throws downfield because Russ has that ability to protect that ball from coverage. All right, let's let's pivot to some of the divisional round stuff. Uh, I know we've been talking for a while here, so we'll maybe hit on a couple of these that I think are the most interesting ones. I think Ravens-Bills are probably, is probably my favorite game yeah. because, I mean, not only the quarterback stuff, obviously you got Allen, you got uh, Lamar Jackson. I think the matchups are really interesting um the defense the the bills defense versus lamar jackson and what they're doing there now i don't study this this stuff as much as you do so i i'm looking for your insight a little bit on this because my background just just looking at this this matchup last year when lamar was in his mvp season he struggled in a few games one of the worst games he had was the game in buffalo uh, Dean Pease, who was the defensive coordinator of the Titans, specifically said he watched that game. He watched what 
uh, Leslie Frazier and McDermott schemed up on that game and tried to do it. Basically, he said, "I, I want to replicate that in, in the playoffs," right. and that's and that's that's what and that's what he did. So you have that. Th- this Bills defense this year, uh, I don't think they're as solid as they were last year. Um, right. They had a lot of like turnover stuff going on. They started to be more of a, of a turnover type of team. So, so I'm not quite sure that they're there. So there's that side of the ball. And then the other side of the ball, Josh Allen, the, the book on him last year was, or in years before was, he's not accurate. So you can kind of man up these guys. You can bring pressure and he's going he's gonna to fold. He's not going to play well. He's going to overthrow the deep passes that you, that you may leave open to them. Now he's just the opposite. <laughs> He's right. just like the opposite passer. And obviously that's what the Ravens like to do. They like to blitz. They like to play man coverage at least more than, than a lot of other teams. So what are your thoughts going to this on what are these teams going to do? Are the Bills going to do what we think they're going to do and, mm-hmm. and just and just play forward there? And are the Ravens going to do what they do or are they going to have to do something different? Yeah, the biggest change that you've gotten in the Ravens' offense since probably that last matchup and then obviously throughout this season was the transition and how they get their running game going where they said, listen, we don't have the same interior offensive line that we did. Uh, We're not going to be able to zone block as successfully. So we're going to run gap counter ideas. And that's working very well for them because of their size up front. But you also are are a little bit, it's a little bit easier to key on tendency and a little bit easier to figure out where you're going to go with it. And it's going to require that Lamar pulls the ball more and is more successful running. We saw that against the Titans, right? Like, yeah, he was beyond very hard to pull the ball last week. It was almost yeah. like, it's almost like, don't hurt yourself. But yeah. Yeah. And, and and so much of how they beat the Titans was we were able to rip off these explosive Lamar runs, right? And so it's not as good of a running game as they had the last season. What they've been able to try and, 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 and do, as you've seen over the last few weeks, is Marquise Brown's target share has jumped. They've run him on some more shorter routes as they're trying to solve their drop back passing game problems, which is, you know, a Greg Roman offense. And that's what they struggle with. Buffalo last year had Tredavious White. And last year, Tredavious White versus Marquise Brown was such a huge advantage to Tredavious, right? He was playing the second best corner in the league. Marquise was struggling. You know, Marquise is playing probably a lower weight last year. That was big because it let Buffalo, like you're talking about with facing Josh Allen, just sit in man. Boom, we're done. This year, with the way Browns have been playing a little bit better and White's been playing worse, if they're going to try to sit in man, which they're going to want to do because they're going to want to bring Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer down because you want your safeties and run support, uh, being able to run the alleys quickly against Baltimore's running game, Trey White against Marquise Brown becomes the most important matchup. Like I said, Marquise Brown's been playing better, but he's still far from what they drafted in the first round. This is a big ask for him. He needs to win this matchup. He needs to win it down the field, which Trey White is not the fastest corner on the face of the planet, and he needs to win at the line of scrimmage. Trey White is so good at the line, and Marquise Brown's been struggling with his releases. So you're talking about numbers in the box. You're absolutely going to be talking about your classic Mike Zimmer background with Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott. They're going to bring those blitzes, like we talked about with DNPs. They're going to have their linebackers play fast to flow. Tremaine Evans is a really great linebacker a matchup against Lamar safety is going to be down you have to be able to take advantage of your one-on-ones and when Harbaugh and the Ravens got kicked out of the playoffs last year Harbaugh said we got to become a better team at deep passing we have to be able to push the ball deep because safeties are going to come low we got to be able to get over the top that to me is the story for this game is it's Marquise Brown versus Trey White and you can even flip it and say they're going to leave Marlon Humphrey one-on-one against Stephon Diggs and boy that ain't went well against AJ Brown Stephon Diggs been playing some good football Uh, and Marlon's even better built for a receiver like Brown because Marlon's so physical. So that was strength against strength. 
Stefan's quick. <laughs> Marlon at times will get too aggressive. That one-on-one matchup, like you're talking about, they're going to play, man. That's how Baltimore's going to live and die. They played a great game against the Titans. They took away that running game. They're going to need to play man cover against a team where they're not even going to be loading the box to stop the run. They're going to be with two high safeties, but they're going to live in man with, with Marcus Peters and with Marlon Humphrey, with Jimmy Smith against Buffalo, that receiving room and that, and Josh Allen. Ooh, that's a 30 point game in the waiting. Uh, so, so I think your, your wide receiver corner matchups, Trey white and Marquise Brown, and then Marlon and Stefan Diggs, eh, whoever takes better advantage is going to take the edge, but this is going to be high scoring. Yeah. Yeah. And that's well, so also with the, with the bills last year, Lamar, I think he had 11 carries, nine of them were designed runs, 40 yards. So he had a pretty bad mm-hmm. game, even even running the ball, let alone the throwing the ball. Did you notice anything from the Titans last week on how they played Lamar? And then, of course, you know, they've had a few matchups with him um, versus how, they, how they're playing him versus what was successful last year. Is there a specific counter that the Ravens were able to do well? Or is it this, 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 this phenomenon that you discussed of, you know what we're going to do? Rather than grind um, these runs and and Lamar continuing to grind these right. and the running backs grind these runs, we're just going to shake them up. We're going to roll and we're going to hope if we roll the dice uh, fifteen times, twice we're going to get you know we're mm-hmm. we're, we're going to we're going to roll sevens twice and we're going to get big plays and that's what they have to do in this matchup right. also. Yeah, the, Lamar was simply better than than the, the, the last guy in the Titans box. The Titans yeah. had one more than they needed and Lamar met him in space and sometimes that guy won. Sometimes he did not. Uh, and then you get Lamar in the open field, and that's a dangerous proposition. They, they, they're they doing good stuff. They, they had a, a third down conversion, an explosive Lamar run on, on a QB wine back, which is a new thing they're bringing in out of the pistol, which is a, it looks like zone read, and then all of a sudden the running back becomes the lead blocker. And it's like, all right, didn't know you could do that, but that's how that rolls. Uh, so they, they're incorporating new stuff. They're getting aggressive. Like we saw a lot of Marquise Brown touches behind the line of scrimmage. Those are quick looks to the perimeter constraint plays we'd call them in coaching where if you're going to bring safeties low and you're going to put you know nine guys in run support i'm going to get my really fast guy you know two on two in the outside if he makes one dude miss home run so certainly their their offense is going to be volatile it is not as good as it was last year it needs more wide receiver talent it's not very good at, at, at methodically running the ball down the field the way we saw the ravens do last year their offense has to be volatile the titans without dean Pease just aren't as sound in their assignments they just blow a lot more stuff they're still trying to be aggressive they, they, they didn't blitz as much but they don't have good pass rushers so they have to blitz it, it they Every team that plays the Ravens is going to put numbers in the box and ask you to beat them one-on-one. Sometimes that's Lamar beating the last defender in the hole. Sometimes that's Marquise Brown beating a guy in space. That's the Ravens' formula right now. With the way the Bills' defense is playing, the Ravens will get their chunk gains. They will get their explosives. Uh, You can full send on Lamar and just let J.K. Dobbins run hog wild. I wouldn't recommend it. Like Dobbins hasn't been great. But still, like, they'll be very pleased to take six-yard games with J.K. Dobbins. That's how they won last year. They're familiar with that model. So it is, you know, you, you, you do your best to stop the base offense. You get Micah Hyde in the hole with, with Lamar Jackson. And sometimes it's Lamar Jackson. And that's how that goes. Okay, so who who do the Ravens want to be that guy in the hole, and who do the Bills want to be want to Ooh. be that guy in the hole? Or yeah. is it not a question of want? It's just a question of a, the larger scheme and and who happens mm-hmm. to be there. Yeah, they've been doing. They've been getting Lamar more so outside of the tackle box than they did last year. Where last year yeah. they really liked to to get him interior runs, and so you're looking at Teron Johnson, who's the nickel, and then uh, I would imagine probably Hyde's going to play more on the line of scrimmage as well for Buffalo. Teron Johnson, and, and and you get Dane Jackson, you get one one of their their corners. That's going to be your best uh, look. Tremaine Edmonds, I said, is a good guy because he he's such a quick trigger and he's so long that he's an explosive first couple of steps. 
he can get to Lamar in space, he's not a great tackler. Uh, and so Tremaine's more going to be about beat him to the spot, make him slow up. Somebody else will finish this job for you. You know what I mean? And, that, and it does have to be a little bit of a gang tackling experience against Lamar. So I think if you are the Bills, you're probably hoping that, that you, you like your safeties. You like the way that Hyde and Poyer play. That's probably the best matchup that you want with Jackson and, and with Jackson and with Brown, you get them outside beyond Tredavious White. It's not a very corner, very good corner room in Buffalo. Those are probably the matchups that you want to take. And then it's foot race time. Okay. And again, going back to the other, to the other side, I think with Allen earlier this season, I mean, he was pretty hot to start the season, although I think he was doing more of these Josh Allen things like in the Rams game, he had a, a stretch where, you know, he, he, he and people talk about this a lot. He got his own personal foul somehow for, yep. for grabbing a face mask. He fumbled the ball. He threw a bad interception. Um, last week, Oh, well, for several weeks leading into last week, he didn't really have any of those, uh, or, or barely any of those. I think in the Cardinals game, he had some 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 weird stuff going on, but then since then, not really. He had the fumble last week, which could have been catastrophic. Um, but again, the the way the way teams have been playing him is is they're they're doing the same thing. Maybe they're doing Mahomes and doing to others, which is playing back and and seeing if he's going to make a mistake. What do you think about Allen? Is he can the Ravens confuse him into doing something dumb? Because I think that's what they're going to need because I think it's going to be impossible to stop him from scoring, but you're going to need yeah. these offsets, which which allow you to to score on the other end and and these big swings as opposed to saying we're just going to shut him down. Yeah, the Ravens can disrupt him the way the Ravens can disrupt any quarterback, right? And when you have a Wink Martindale defense, you're very confident in your corners. You're going to be able to play man cover, and you're going to be able to send heat. And, and that's how they've been successful. They've been getting better play out of Matt Judon and, and Yannick Ngakwe as of late as well. So when they do rush with four, more likely to collapse that pocket. And then when you bring five and you bring six, you're going to be able to open up your free rusher, right? And, and in that way, you're going to get inaccurate passes. You're going to get quick throws. The problem here is like in the past, it was disrupt Allen, and you're more likely to get a bad play than good. This year, it's disrupt Allen. A, you're more likely to get a good play than a bad one because of how successful he's been. You know, the 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 trust he's got with Cole Beasley is huge for him because he's willing to check down a lot more than he used to be. So that's great stuff. But all, B, all pro, all pro, Cole, all Beasley. pro, Cole Beasley, slot receiver, <laughs> Peter King. Uh, but even more than that, Allen proved to us when he wasn't playing well that if you disrupted him and you made him make mistakes and he threw picks and he took sacks, he wouldn't care. Like he had that invulnerability sensation that a lot of franchise quarterbacks do where you can make a series of bad plays and still come out shooting and still come out being aggressive. He proved that he had that when it was not good, when it's good, like obviously you're going to have that sort of a sensation and it's, it's very big for Buffalo. You know, there was that experience that you had, you brought up the Rams game. You even had it in the Colts game a little bit where it was like, Oh, Colts feel like they're controlling this thing. And then every time Allen got under center, you were like, uh, but maybe not because the, you you know how quickly he can score and how much he can create plays even when your defense is playing well. Baltimore is going to be able to get more pressure on Allen, more so than the Colts did. It was the Colts' biggest struggle. The Colts didn't blitz. But Allen's going to know when he's got Stephon Diggs against Marlon Humphrey that if he wants, he can three-step drop and throw that thing on a quick breaker, throw that thing back shoulder, and that will be available to him. The Ravens give you that, and they want their ones to beat your ones. They want their guys to beat your guys. Because he has that, if they need to become a more quick passing game, if they need to get the ball out of Allen's hands, he's mature enough now that he'll do that versus what I think he was last year. And so this Bill's offense to me is a proposition of you beat them 
by scoring more points than them. You don't really slow them down. You don't really impede them. They don't have Zach Moss. So maybe, you know, the, the, the running back drops are, or the running back uh, quick checkdowns aren't as easy and Moss is good at breaking tackles. So that bites into their base offense a little bit, but they're still an Allen led passing team down the field. So this is a team that you beat them by surviving them and by scoring more points on offense. It's it's really I I I'm just continually shocked by how often it's amazing I, that we're here. It's not. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you could you could substitute in all these things that are being said about the Bills and be talking about like the the Kansas City Chiefs or something, and you'd be saying mm-hmm. the the same the same exact things, um, unironically t- saying these things about about the Bills. Okay, so the next the next game I want to talk about, and maybe I'm not sure how uh, I'm a little bit ambivalent about this one is the Packers and the Rams now. Packers are not overwhelming favorites. Um, the Rams, the quarterback, we don't know. I don't know what to make of the quarterback issues there. I guess we'll we'll figure yeah. out as we get we get we get forward on that. But I think on the defensive side of the ball, what they can do against Aaron Rodgers, against Aaron Aaron Jones, also in that rushing attack, which has been pretty good. I think Rodgers. I mean, I still say that he has a higher potential, in my opinion, to be flustered and contained in a way than definitely than Patrick Mahomes, maybe even than Josh Allen. I don't know. That's so mm-hmm. weird to say. Um, Cause we saw what happened in that Tampa Bay game. If you can really like put it on him and somehow, and somehow uh, uh, lock him down. Cause I don't know if he has like this extraordinary level of escapability and other things that, that you may need in certain, in certain situations. Um, so I think there is a chance that the Rams have in this game, but maybe I'm deluding myself on the fact that everyone is so into this Rams defense. I know I as well. I looked at Rams plus seven for a very long time and then I made a responsible decision and took the under. Um, right. I, I, I very fearful of golf at 75% thumb strength and freezing weather that scares the living daylights out of me. Now, if you can take this game up with Cam Akers and the way that the Rams run the football kudos to you hats off Sean McVay's nuts, but I'm not, I'm not sure even against a Mike Pettit defense, which is very acquiescent against the run. They've been playing better recently. Uh, they've been stronger in the interior. Rashawn Gary's playing some good football. You know, they, they, they've been better up front. Uh, so I'm not sure they'll be able to take that over. And so certainly worried about the Rams offense not being able to hang. It would truly take a Herculean effort from this Rams defense. Uh, the Staley defense is, you know, like, like the Robert Mays article, which was so good for the athletic and watching it on film. He talks about being one over one in the running game and two over one in the passing game. I just want to be smarter with my numbers. I'd rather give up a five-yard run than a 50-yard pass. And it's great. What they want to do is they want to take away crossers. This is a very much so this, this, this Shanahan, McVay, McFloor, uh, uh, LaFleur offense is here to send my guys one way and then hit them the other direction. And that's very much how the Packers have been successful with their boot action game. It's been largely predicated on getting guys moving across the formation. When you have Alan Lazard, who can realistically line up looking like a tight end, block for 10, 10 reps, and then all of a sudden run a deep crosser, same thing with Robert Tunyon, who's technically a wide receiver. They call him a tight end, but he's built the same way. Those guys are devastating. And Adams isolated on the backside. If you want to try to play man coverage with this, we're just going to take advantage of that one-on-one. The Rams are very nicely built to handle this. I really think that the, that the Rams, this, this defense is built to, to, to cut crossers, built to poach crossers. So you're going to get John Johnson coming down into Rogers' windows. You're going to get Jordan Fuller coming down into, into Rogers' windows. That's going to piss him off because he's going to have to turn his back to the defense. He's going to turn around. He's going to expect it to be there. There's going to be a safety sitting there. And all of a sudden, there's going to be an unblocked edge defender coming his way. That is not a good formula for successful quarterbacking. They have Ramsey that can live on Adams. I don't think that matchup is going to go great for Ramsey, but it's going to go better than most corners dealing with Devontae Adams one-on-one. They're very nicely set up for that. So this is Aaron Jones. This is with no David Bakhtiari. Can you 
dominate up front. Aaron Donald, Sebastian Joseph Day, Leonard Floyd, these guys have been playing really good ball. Can you push up front to be successful running the ball? Because this is you're not going to get the ease moving the six with the passing game the way you're used to if you're Green Bay. So it's very important that they run the ball well, even with, with Bakhtiari out. His absence is enormous because Leonard Floyd's been playing great. And so you in the passing game and in the running game potentially very much struggle off that blind side. You know, they're signing Jared, Jared Valdir off the Colts roster, playing the playoffs last week, and now he's back. It's, it's crazy where they're at with that offensive line. And so I do think – I think this is going to be very frustrating game for Rodgers. I think it's going to be very low scoring. It's it's disappointing that that Goff and Walford might be so limited at the quarterback position because I'm not sure the Rams are even able to keep pace with the defense playing so well. But I do think this is going to be low scoring. It's going to be ugly. I, I got faith in that Rams defense. Yeah, I'm interested in the Ramsey-Adams uh, matchup because Adams is a very different receiver than yes. like a DK Metcalf, right? Mm-hmm. And I think – I'm not sure of this, but I think who Jalen Ramsey is, I think it's a better for his from his perspective to be like against a DK Metcalf type in, in mm-hmm. some sort of ways because right. he can he can play strength against strength. He can he feels good like uh, playing the ball once it's in the air and being able and being able to make a play and to be strong and to, and to go down there. Um, you know, Devontae, his his average depth of target is like nine yards or something like that versus someone like DK, where it's probably 15 yards. Uh, he's playing underneath. He's going to use that quickness and stuff. So what is Ramsey going to have to do? Is he going to have to jam him? Is that what he's going to have to do? Because yeah. I don't – I mean, I don't know – He's he's great, obviously, but I don't know how how the quick receiver goes against him because it's almost it's in some ways it's like putting him against a slot type of a type of receiver in in the ways that that Adams can can maneuver over the field. Certainly, uh, far be it from me to say Jalen Ramsey isn't a technician because he's is he's he's very good technically, but absolutely Ramsey's at his best when he's just being an athlete. That's that's where Ramsey is truly elite. That's where he's in, in the argument for the best corner in the league. Devonte is a technician. Devonte is purely I'm going to know everything you want to do and i'm going to break you down piece by piece step by step he's an extremely cerebral player so yes if they put ramsey off which is what they do against receivers like metcalf that you bring up adams is going to be have have free access underneath and rogers will take that 99 times out of 100 a six yard slant to Devonte adams is a dream for this off absolutely they'll take that they're very smart they're very economical in their approach so you're going to eventually have to bring Ramsey onto the line of scrimmage. And when you do that, it's going to be a battle in that first second of how Adams is able to release against Ramsey. And that's going to be truly like just film guy erotica. Like that's just like, oh yeah. my goodness, it's going to be so exciting. We can't wait. Adams is going to get his. He's going to win his. And what's important with Ramsey, who's such a good corner, who's played so well this year, is accepting the reality of playing cornerback, which is sometimes you lose. Sometimes uh, you don't know the route and that guy's good and that quarterback's good. And that's just the way that that goes. So you're going to see Adams is so good on the back shoulder. Rams is going to have him blanketed. And all of a sudden it's going to be a catch over the top of his head for 20. And that that's the nature of playing corner. If you start getting aggressive, if you start getting impatient, if you start getting frustrated, then you start lunging at, at Adams, little fake release moves. And all of a sudden it's not 20, it's 50 and it's a score. And that's where, where you really surrender. And so and the important thing is to stay measured. When Adams beats you, it's because Adams beats you. And that's that's the sort of season that he's playing this year. But absolutely, they have to bring him onto the line of scrimmage. And Ramsey has to be able to stay patient. And that is not the way he wants to play football. And so if you can get high volume on Adams early, get him in quick routes early, start to get Ramsey pissed off, a lot of football is a mental game. And that's, that's going to be how you want that matchup to go if you're Green Bay. For, for the Rams, if Ramsey can't lock up Adams, 
you know, I mean, nobody's beating, beating the Packers if you, you don't have a solution for Adams. And this is the Rams' solution. So they, they have to live and die by that matchup. Yeah, yeah. It'll be great to see. Yeah, I, I have a feeling uh, Ramsey's going to, I mean, Jalen's just going to think, this guy can't beat me over the top, so yeah. I'm just, so so it'll be interesting to to, to see how uh, uh, how that how that matchup plays out. All right, so let's hit these other couple of games. Um, now I want to hit Tampa Bay and New Orleans first. I think it's interesting. I, I have this feeling that Tampa Bay has been this very high end team, although they've been they fluctuated a bit. But if you go back to the last time these two teams met, it was a complete utter destruction. So. Who, who who what should we be looking for in that was that was that an aberration what we saw there was that mm-hmm. poor game planning most people s- seem to say that it was poor game planning on the on the on the part of the the bucks right. defense to sit back and to let uh sit back in zone and, and let them dictate things I, I i tend to always push back against those things because i just think how could a coach be that like how could they be they're not, they're not dumb right, right. i mean oh, so how could, how could they be that argument wrong? always fun in the nfl always dangerous <laughs> So, so what do you think about about this matchup? Because I felt like if that matchup never happened, if that if that destruction never happened, we might most people might be saying they think the Bucks are going to win. Maybe maybe people are still saying the Bucks are the Bucks are going to mm-hmm. win this game. But at least uh, our friends in the desert still see New Orleans as being a three point favorite at, at home. Of course, yeah. And and when you play that, you know we're going to spot drop. We're going to keep stuff in front of us. We're going to step up and tackle. What you're saying is we don't think your red zone offense is very good. So we don't care if you get inside the 15. We're just going to stop you once you get there. And if you score three, we're going to score seven. And and that's how we intend on winning this game, which isn't a very sexy approach. But when you're dealing with an offense like the Michael Thomas-less Drew Brees Saints offense, it's, it's, it's a pretty sound argument. You know, like if you can stop the run, which the Bucks feel confident that they can, even without Vita Vea, then that that team struggles in the red zone, throwing the football. Uh, and so that that approach, I agree with you. There was some logic behind it. I don't think it would have been my call, but there was. I don't think they're going to do it again because it's pretty clear how that went. I don't think you can, you can trot out with the same stuff. So yeah, you're going to see a more aggressive approach. You're going to see more fire zone, which is what we know Todd Bowles for, which is sending that fifth, sending that sixth man running three deep, three under running three under two deep and hoping that you can get to breeze quickly enough to force him to make underneath throws. And then you step up and rally and tackle. You're anticipating losing route progressions deep but you think that you're going to be able to get to him fast enough. The Saints don't have as good of an interior offensive line as they've had in years past, so that interior rush is critical. Devin White and Levante David are both very high sack numbers this year, very successful blitzers this year. Both of those guys are going to get sent. You have to send Devin White because all game long, Bree said, all right, we're 45. All right, we're going to throw it at 45 because Devin White is not comfortable in zone coverage, which is a big part of him coming out of LSU and now, now in the league. And so you're going to send those linebackers. You're going to trust your deep safety room to be able to come up and play underneath, make good tackles. And that's how you're going to have to play that passing game. It's going to be risk reward. It's going to be double-edged sword. But when you're able to get to Breeze, he's not escapable and he does not have the arm to push a deep throw when he's under pressure. Like he's not an off-platform thrower, right? Breeze needs all of his legs. He needs all of his footwork in order to get the ball down the field. So that's going to have to be how you approach it on defense. The 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 bigger concern, because they're not going to spot drop again, is you score three points against this defense, man. Like I, th- <laughs> this, this, this Arians passing game just wants to go vertical and they want Gronk to beat Demario Davis. And they want Mar- Mike Evans to beat Marshawn Lattimore and Chris Godwin, who apparently can't catch football because he doesn't have a finger right now or something. So, you know, beat uh, Janoris Jenkins. If that's how they're going to be. And, and, and we said, all right, Bowles won't do what he did. Arians is going to do what he did. This is Bruce Arians. He has not flexed for anybody for many years. You got to win those one-on-ones that, 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 that you got to tell Mike Evans, Hey, you talk a lot of mess about Marshall Lattimore every year. 
I'm gonna need 120 and a touchdown, please and thank you. Because that 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 performance on offense won't cut it no matter what Todd Bowles does on defense. Is the Saints defense the best defense in the, in the NFL? See, this is my thing. Is I really like like the Saints defense is just very good. And we're always just like, yeah. oh, I wonder how Drew Brees' arm is. They can at any <laughs> time lock somebody down. Like they, yeah. it's so deep i forget who was calling the bears game I, I was on not the nickelodeon broadcast i wish i was on the nickelodeon it was romo broadcast. right romo uh this is such a deep defensive depth chart he said and that's 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 what it was when we were looking at rosters in the beginning of the season you just look at the saints this was before we knew trey hendrickson was going to have 11 sacks and it was like trey hendrickson's our third best rusher this is absurd Al, you know Al, like, this is yeah. obnoxious how good this team is and so yes I think that especially over the attrition of a season where your rotation becomes so much more important in week 18 and week 19, week 20, the Saints defense is so well built for the playoffs. I really, really like their defense. So yes, I think that we underappreciate how good this Saints defense is because the offense usually lets them down in the playoffs a little bit. Yeah, and I think there's a little bit of this kind of like primacy bias of what happened at the beginning of the season. They lost, you know, they had this bad game against Derek Carr. They had mm-hmm. some other poor performances. They were getting a ton of penalties, like defensive pass interference, other penalties. A where... Dennis Allen defense over penalized. <laughs> <laughs> so they were, st- I mean, they were still weren't playing well, but they were, they kept on giving up. They were giving up first downs, basically. They were allowing these drives to extend. Sure. So teams that were not particularly efficient on a per play ba- basis were able to grind down the field and, and get some scores and everything that's happening on the offensive side so uh, Drew Brees for a second I want Drew Brees to do well just because I'm always going to be the person who roots for the guy who who plays well in the regular season and then everyone says that they 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 implode in the playoffs now when it comes to the NBA I think there's a lot of truth in that because teams really can play differently during the playoffs they're not trying that hard during a lot of the regular season games they're playing tighter is referee different this and that there shouldn't be that big of a difference between the NFL playoffs and the NFL regular season I mean these guys are going gangbusters they're going all out all 60 games Mm -hmm. of the season what is up with Drew Brees and the playoffs is are we going to hear that again after this week because I'm hoping that that we're not going to see this or do you think there is really something about him fading off in the playoffs Oh, cold weather, small hands. Nah, it, it's probably, it's 95% a self-perpetuating narrative. You know what I mean? Yeah. You you lose a couple of playoff games because you do. Uh, sometimes you lose playoff games. They're usually against good teams. It's late in the season. You're banged up. And then somebody says somewhere that you're bad in the playoffs. And the next time you get to the playoffs, you're thinking in your head, oh man, I'm bad in the playoffs. And then these right. things, that, that it, it, it builds itself, right? And we're very good at that, right? We, we've been talking for a whole week about Lamar not winning the playoffs. He's played two playoff games. One is a rookie and one is the NFL MVP. It's a ridiculous conversation. He's 0-2 in the playoffs. It's a two games, you know? Like, <laughs> that, like If he had just won one, he'd be 50% in the playoffs. He'd be one of the best right. playoff quarterbacks, you know? So that, that we, we build our own narratives. I don't think, I certainly don't think Breeze is you know built to play in january outdoors uh very few quarterbacks like are actually built for that but breeze certainly i think suffers for that a little bit uh obviously the older you are the more you expect week 18 week 19 week 20 to lean on your body we already know breeze is gonna be playing every game from now on decently banged up so those things are true but i do think it's largely just a, a narrative that eats and feeds on itself yeah, yeah, and I guess the last three times they lost in the playoffs, they were all in the dome too. So he hasn't even right. had to but to have that. Nickel Roby Coleman, window. man, he's the main perpetrator <laughs> behind this narrative. Him and that refereeing crew. All right, now, okay, last last game here. Is there a reason to discuss this game? I'll just throw that out there to start before we even start. If the do the Browns have a yeah, chance? If the Browns I'm dubious, the I'm dubious of forty two minutes. <laughs> you know, like if it's <laughs> we run every play and we take the play clock down to one. Um, I mean. 
Baker's Baker's playing better, though. Obviously, there's a little bit of that as Swiss cheese. Uh, and their running game is impressive. If that offensive line is able to be fully healthy, I think certainly you're you're looking at a very low percentage bet in saying, all right, all of their 15 play drives are going to score seven. Well, all of the Chiefs' five play drives are going to score seven because this secondary cannot hold up. Uh, been been the weakest part of this team all season. Is currently dealing with injury as well. Like, oh, they got Ronnie Harrison back. Man, if Ronnie Harrison's a relief, like Harrison's a fine player, don't get me wrong. But if like it's if this is like salvation, we got trouble. Uh, so that that yeah. safety room is rough. Uh, they don't have a corner opposite Denzel Ward that you trust. This is a this secondary is really bad. So it's it's a they would need to turn in their best running game performance of the year and then win it on time of possession, win it on holding the ball last, win it on overtime, win it on some situational clock management which i mean probably stefanski's going to be better at that than reed is if we're going to be honest but that's such a again it's a low probability bet i I, i'm excited to see how the browns do it because it's always fun to watch teams try to stop the chiefs i just don't have faith that it's going to go well and okay so the running game obviously the browns are going to want to do that the chiefs that's their their vulnerability can Okay, well, so this is what I think about the Chiefs' defense. Maybe you have, a, you have a different opinion here. I feel like the way teams have been able to get back into these games is, is sometimes with a lot of explosive plays against them. Mm-hmm. Can the Browns even do that? Can the Browns produce right. explosive plays? I mean, you got the, your top three receivers are probably averaging like four, seven, five, forty-yard dashes. Um, I mean, maybe you have uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, where you're talking about a six-round right. rookie now, they're running down the field. I mean, can they even produce these sort of plays if the Chiefs are able to get heat on them? If they're able to to have some obvious passing situations, uh, what, what's Baker going to be able to do there? Yeah, and, and you have a really good solution to heavy crossing pattern, heavy PA, heavy boot in Juan Thornhill and Teron Matthew. It's a good safety duo. Uh, the Chiefs' corners are where you'd like to take advantage. You'd love to have number 13 out there right now and be able to say, you know, for, against Trivarius Ward, against Legereus Sneed, you know, let, let's go, you know, earn, earn your big contract. When you don't have him right, it's Jarvis Landry, who is a good receiver in his own right, but explosiveness is not the way that he makes his money. Uh, so I agree with you, right? It, this is a, you know, if we want to borrow another Lamar narrative, this is the game where if you get in a hole, I don't know how you get out. You know, and that's why I say, like, you need your 15-play drives to score seven. You can't be walking away with three. Uh, so you need a, a tremendous red zone performance from Baker, number one. And number two, I agree. You, I think your best bet for explosives is Hooper. Uh, is going to be working that middle of the field on your climb routes, on your post routes. It's going to be against Matthew and Thornhill, which is a good safety duo. You gave Hooper some big money, so you'd like for him to be able to deliver when you need him. Again, it's a thin bet, so I uh, I will watch the game. I will enjoy the game. I will not have much faith uh, in, in a fun outcome as we had on Sunday night. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm hoping we're going to see some 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 fun trick plays. I think I think we might sure. see. Sure, that's a bet. That's a very good bet. They don't have Odell to throw it, but absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's that's Stefanski's mo for making explosive. That's a great point. Yeah, Jarvis Jarvis may may get into the throwing action there. He's been he's been, he's been a pretty pretty damn good throw of the ball over over there. So, all right. Well, thank you. Benjamin, so much for joining me. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. Everyone listening in, thanks for tuning in. Hopefully we have a great division round. This is normally the best weekend of the year, and I think last weekend was good for a little bit, and, and mm-hmm. it had potential to be even better with all those different games, but it wasn't. It, it disappointed a little bit. But we're getting all the matchups I think we want this week. Uh, yeah. So I appreciate everyone tuning in. Rate, review, and uh, go and follow Benjamin and, and check out all, all his stuff because he's one of the best followers on Twitter. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. Kevin. 